airing the Addisons. Let me say this, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we've got to be careful and make sure that in everything, man, we are trying to get as close to what the word says as possible. And we got to understand that with that type of wickedness, man, you know, God does not wink at that. There's judgment. Promoting truth, wisdom, and empowerment. And you don't have shades of truth. You have truth or you have error. You have fact or you have fiction. And now we go into the thick of it. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Erin Addison's. On American Family Radio, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm Miki. And I'm Will. And Sherry B is over in Studio CC, and we're glad to have her there because we're going to open the phone lines up to get your take on this one article. I I tried to look at this and think in terms of um, maybe squeezing in another topic uh, because I think that these could be paired nicely, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, but I think that we're going to exhaust our time on the first article, which we'll get into because there's uh, an incredible amount of biblical support that I think we need to turn to. And this shows the type of biblical illiteracy that is among us as Christians to which the only right response could be, come on Christians. Hmm. Like really? Like that's, <laughs> I mean, that's not deep and theological, but that's the only response that I, I could muster as I was reading this article. There's um, this article is us Christians increasingly departing from core truths core truths of Christian worldview. Mm. Um, In our local fellowship, we have been teaching our kids the fundamentals of the faith. And one of the things that we say to them is that when you remove the fundamentals from a thing, you no longer have that thing, which you are originally talking about. Yeah. Yep. So in Christianity, when you remove one portion of Christian doctrine, the fundamentals of Christianity, any portion, anything, you're not talking about Christianity. And we want our kids to understand that as flatly as possible because they are growing up in a world where people will remove all sorts of things from Christianity. They will add things to Christianity and still call it Christianity. So we want our kids to be bold enough Mm -hmm. and to be equipped enough to be able to say, and that ain't Christianity. Right. And one of the illustrations that we used, and again, I'm not a sports enthusiast, (laughs) but I know some people who are, is that if you have a basketball and you have a court Mm -hmm. and let's say you even have a net, right? But if the person is just holding on to the ball and running from one end of the court to the other and just like maybe touching the the, the post where the net <laughs> is is mounted and then they run back to the other side and they touch the other and they may well call that basketball. But people at home would be like, come on, man, <laughs> come on, man. Like it, it, you would be so frustrated. You would be yelling because what is going on? There's traveling. I mean, there's no shooting the ball. There's right. no dunking. But somebody would look and say, and this is, again, this is elementary. We're teaching this to our kids. Why? Because they have to be able to contend for the faith, right? right. So somebody at home, and, and, and nobody would be mad at a person who's like, oh, traveling. Like, because you understand <laughs> the fundamentals of basketball. Right. And you understand that if you remove the fundamentals, you can still call it basketball, but that's not what it that's is. That's not what it is. That's right. Right? I mean, like, we get this with anything else. And the indignation that is coupled with when people mess up the fundamentals, like Mm. nobody says you're being judgmental. Mm. 
<laughs> Come on, guys. Think about this. Like mm-hmm. nobody looks at you if you if you know if people are not playing a game the way it is fundamentally yeah, to good. be played. Mm-hmm. Nobody looks at you for criticizing them and say, and and says to you, you're so judgmental. Right. You're too critical. No, because there is a collective understanding that there are express rules, that there are regulations, mm-hmm. right? There are expectations that if you remove any of those things, you no longer have the sport you're playing. Yeah. And it's something that if you in that same analogy, if you're playing a sport and you're doing all of that, you know, not only would the people be like, come on, man, like they'll be outraged. Like, yes, you know, they'll be like, a, <laughs> what are y'all doing? Like, you the know, refs would need protection. Yeah. It would be like, why, why are y'all allowing this to happen? Like, right. This is not basketball. You know, who, who wants to watch that? Who <laughs> wants to, you know, and, and it's amazing because like only with Christianity and Christianity is not a sport. Please do not hear me saying that or making a p- comparison, but I'm trying to use a natural illustration, one that we use with our children mm-hmm. because we are trying to train them in sound doctrine so that they can contend and keep the gospel intact, right? Mm. But why is it? Here's the question. Why is it that with sports, we understand this <laughs> and the quote unquote integrity of the game must be protected? Mm-hmm. But when it comes to Christianity, we make every effort to lower the bar man, to say, on, oh, but, you know, I mean, <laughs> you know, come on, let him just just, uh, you know, yeah, a little bit right. of this. It's all right. Yeah. A little bit. of That's OK. Like, don't worry, but don't be such a stickler. But sports fans, man, there's got to be a stronger word than stickler. You <laughs> you people yell at TV screens. I've seen you and the people can't hear you. But you're 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 all invested because you know that they have changed the game. Whatever your favorite sport is, mm-hmm. how much more so the doctrine, the under the right understanding of the doctrine that tells you how to be saved, how much more so should we not be, and now allegorically, yelling at the screen? Yeah. That's not Christianity. Mm. That is not the gospel. <laughs> Well, we just let it slide. Why? Because we're always trying to be nicer than Jesus. Man, come on. We want to be sweeter than the Savior. Oh, it's oh. like we, our song is just so <laughs> to trust in me, <laughs> just to take me at my word. Right. Like that's that's our that's our song, because the things that Jesus said are just too hard. So what are we trying to do? We're trying to we're trying to build children who are culture proof, who are impervious to the culture. Yeah. So they know the truth. And they are emboldened to tell the truth about what the gospel is and what the gospel isn't. And if one portion of the gospel is removed, then you're no longer talking about the gospel. Mm. All right. Listen. So so here is the study. Here we go. (laughs) All right. Because I'm not I don't do sports, but gospel, I'm yelling at the screen. (laughs) Right. Like I don't (laughs) I might get my sports analogies wrong, but we've got to be steeped in the word of God to give a biblical defense When there is something that rivals the truth, something that compromises the fundamentals of what you say you've put your hope in and you just like, you know, just let people. (laughs) All right. So here we go. A new survey shows that the majority of Americans no longer believe that Jesus is the path to salvation. Mm. And instead believe that being a good person is sufficient. Okay. Um, The alarming part to me about this is when we get into the breakdown of the numbers, when we talk about Christians, Mm. listen to me, it's not surprising to me 
that most Americans think just being good is gospel. Yeah. Right. That's not surprising to me. But when you call yourself a Christian, there are fundamentals of this faith that we all must submit to, that we all must adhere to. You don't get to make it up. You don't get you don't get to design a gospel that you like. That's right. All right. It's, it's not, you know, um, you can't build a bear. <laughs> you cannot build a bear complete with voice box and everything. No, you cannot build a bear. All right. And we, man, we have to be dogmatic about this. So out of the, um, out of mm. Arizona Christian university, there is uh B- George Barner, George Barna oversees mm. a cultural research center and um, they have been conducting a study, American worldview inventory. And so they released the latest findings from that study, exploring the perceptions of sin and salvation. All right. So that's the context that we're talking about today. And according to this recent information coming out, the latest findings show that nearly two thirds of Americans believe that having some kind of faith is more important than the particular faith with with which someone aligns. Hmm. So just believe in something is more important than what it is you believe. <laughs> Man. <laughs> okay. Just it doesn't matter just as long as you believe something. Okay? 68% who embrace that notion identify as Christians. 68%. 68%. My grandmother right. used to say <laughs> My grandmother used to say when she was really angry When I was a little girl, Mm -hmm. she used to say, oh, it just makes my blood boil. (laughs) Right. Like now you can you can understand how that's like such an accurate description of like when you're really right. Okay, 68 percent of people who embrace this notion um, that it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe something. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, 68 percent of them (sighs) identify as Christians. That includes 56 percent of self-described evangelicals, 56 percent of people who describe themselves as evangelicals. Come on, Christians. Come on, Christians. Man. How in the world? Like I, you, this, this, um, you get out of the lazy boy for this. Stand up. <laughs> get out of the Come rocking on, chair. Stand up. Be upset. Be upset. Because the gospel is on the line. The gospel must be preserved and fought for in every generation. It has never existed in safety. So here we are now. We're in 21st century America. And here, and here, here is my humble assignment for every parent, every grandparent, every aunt, every grand aunt, whatever, listening. Ask the child in your life if Jesus is the only way to God. Ask them. Ask them. What do they know about the faith you believe they have accepted? What do they know about the faith you hope they have accepted? Come on, man. We have got to do better than this. 62% of people who believe that just whatever, as long as you have some kind of faith, doesn't matter what it is. 62% of the people who believe that identify as Pentecostals. Mm. 67% come from mainline Protestantism. Wow. And 77% of Catholics also embrace this idea. Hmm. It doesn't matter what you believe. Just as long as you believe something, just believe something. There's something. Man. Doesn't matter what it is, though. 
Slightly over half of Christian respondents said that they believe someone can attain salvation by, quote, being or doing good. Oh, my goodness. Slightly over half of the Christian respondents said they believe someone can attain salvation by being or doing good. This is an effect of not reading the Bible. Yes, 100 (laughs) percent. No doubt. No doubt. It's. I mean, you're not reading the Bible and the Bible is not being taught to you. Yeah. So you got a double whammy. All right. So you're you're not reading it yourself and it is not being taught to you. That's the only way you can arrive at this position. That's the only way you can get here. This is this is the kind of stuff where Paul is like when the gospel is threatened, he's like, I wish those who trouble you would go on Mm -hmm. and castrate themselves. That's what he said. And why, why, why is the indignation so high? Mm. Why is it so great? Because the gospel is in jeopardy. And because understanding that it doesn't exist in safety, there's no safe space for the gospel, are always fighting for it. We're always contending for it. We train our kids to fight for it. We train our kids to contend for the truth. And the only way you can do that is by rigorously training them in the word. I'm going to I'm going to tell you, we are doing our kids a disservice. By allowing them to pig out on pizza and soda and apple juice and crackers and calling that a good Sunday discussion. Come on. Coloring sheets, man. And I love them myself. You know, I I can sit down and color some pages, (laughs) but man, that (laughs) that's not sufficient. That's not a substitute for sound doctrine. That's right. And our kids can get it. Yep. Our kids can. I, and yep. when I say our, I mean, Christian kids, they have the capacity to understand. They have the, but we have done them a disservice in that we have not trained them because we're like, ah, they don't get it. Let's just show them giraffes hanging out boats. Like we, <laughs> they, they can't understand it. We had a kid, he's nine years old, kid in our fellowship. And, they, and we keep, we recap. So right now they're learning logic and doctrine. They're learning logic and doctrine. That's our that's how we Sunday school. All right? So you go back and you review and you ask the same question that Anselm was asking. Anselm, the the father of scholasticism, do your church history. What was the question that Anselm was asking? He was asking why the God man? Why Jesus Christ? You got a nine-year-old who can raise his hand, having been trained, and can give the answer of why Jesus Christ is the only sufficient propitiation for our sin. He's nine. That didn't just happen. That's training. Amen. That's equipping. That's contending. We'll grab the break. We'll be right back. Cut the brother off. I'm sorry. Man. <laughs> no, he all right. Man. I'm so sorry. Um, He's fine. Listen, 
Guys, we have to care about the truth. Amen. We have to care about the gospel. There, there can be no neutral Christian where you're just like, oh, I don't like that they're saying that, but eh, you know, what do we can what what can we do? We have to fight. Yeah. We have to contend Amen. for the truth. Look, this this uh, what we're talking about right now, the, what is present in our churches today is reflected in the larger culture. The fact that Christians can't hold the line, that's 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 why they're marching in different lines. Hmm. Okay. 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 Hmm. You see, you see, that's why they're Man. behind banners that say things that are antithetical to the faith. Man. Well, the fact that Christians cannot hold the line is representative is why. Let me say it is why we have Christians who are marching in different lines. They're doing different hmm. things. They're out doing things that we were like, wait, how do you believe that? How can you say that it's antithetical to the gospel? Well, it's because they're not being taught the gospel in church. Man. Children are not being taught the gospel in homes. They're not contending for the faith. Amen. So this is what you get. Now, again, 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 slightly. Oh, this is um, George Barna is the director. I want to say he oversees um, the Cultural Research Center out of Arizona Christian University. And they've been working on this uh, American worldview inventory. And they've been slowly kind of releasing findings from this. And the latest findings explore the perceptions of sin and salvation. If you're just joining us, welcome back to Aaron, the Addison's on American family radio. Mm -hmm. All right. So here's the information here. And um, (laughs) we have to slightly over half of Christian respondents to this survey that was conducted back in January. I want to say about 2000 participants, Mm -hmm. Uh, slightly over half of Christian respondents said that they believe someone can attain salvation by being or doing good. That's 46% of Pentecostals who believe that, 44% of mainline Protestants, and 41% of evangelicals. 41% of evangelicals believe that a person can attain salvation by being or doing good. 70% of Catholics believe that. In addition to the viewpoint that eternal salvation can be earned, survey results show that 58% of Americans believe that no absolute moral truth exists and that the basis of truth are factors or sources other than God. Wow. This this is why there must be a return to the authoritative word of God. Right. The authoritative word of God, that it is inerrant. Right. That it is God breathed. Okay, Mm. not not a return to a casual read of the scriptures. But that when we return to reading the scriptures, we read them as God intended them to be read. Fully authoritative fully instructive for our life. Like we have lost that, right? Yeah. 77% said that right and wrong is determined by factors other than the Bible. <laughs> 77, 77%. So this is a, Americans in general, right? Americans in general, 77% okay. said that right and wrong is determined by factors other than the Bible. 59% said that the Bible is not God's authoritative and true word. And 69% said people are basically good. <laughs> like, even if you're not a Christian, I don't see how you get that. <laughs> basically good. Come <laughs> on, like, man. You can look around. I mean, you can see how people do. I mean, people, I mean you, you know. know? Anyway. Um, listen, <laughs> so as I as I was reading this and um, as I, I, I felt, you know, as I... I read these things and, and, and this is not like, I don't, you know, if I want to entertain you, I'll tell jokes, poor jokes, you know, I'll <laughs> tell jokes. Right. But 
uh, a righteous indignation as it pertains to the gospel, as it pertains to the word of God. Um, how is one saved? You know what I'm saying? Who is Jesus Christ? What did he secure for us? Um, the indignation is not for your entertainment. Yeah. It's because we have to understand that the gospel that reached us, that is potent enough to save us is compromised in every generation through which it passes. Mm -hmm. It's compromised yep. in every generation. So every generation has to contend. I've told you before. So when I started to delve into church history, my eyes were open and I didn't even realize that I thought this way, but I really kind of looked at the apostles. Like I looked at, you know, those early apostles as kind of throwing that last effort to get to the end zone. <laughs> if my, if it fails, fix it for me. We'll fix Mary. it. A hail Mary. Yeah. It's like, I'm putting all I have into this and I'm hoping that I can get it to the end. So I always look at the apostles as getting, getting the gospel to us in that way, which means that the ball has got to pass over hundreds of years of faithful Christians. <laughs> Makes no sense. Mm. What church history teaches us is that it's been a series of passes. Mm -hmm. In fact, the apostle Paul described this as having run his race. Remember in his last words to Timothy, I've run my race. And so if you think about it, it's more like a relay where the baton mm. gets passed from person to person. That's right. And where is it most precarious? It's most precarious when you're running a relay race in the passing of the baton. Mm. Yep. It's, it's, the, it's in the handoff that's where, the where it's most precarious, happen. right? Yep. That's where the accidents, that's where the fumbles, that's mm -hmm. where the, you didn't grab it right. Mm -hmm. You didn't do, you Come know what on, I'm man. saying? You didn't, you weren't holding it right. And guess what? The greatest weight. Now I had to look this up a few years ago, but the greatest weight and responsibility on the person passing the baton is the outgoing runner, <laughs> the outgoing runner. Cause it's a, it's a blind handoff. Mm. So they have to be holding it in exactly the right way for the person coming up behind them to be able to grab it properly. If there's a problem with the grab, it's usually going to be because there was a problem in the handoff. Man. Guys, come on, man. <laughs> come on. So if, if people don't understand the gospel, if they don't know how we're saved, if they don't understand that the word of God is authoritative, that's because there's been a problem in the handoff. Mm. That's because we have not secured and passed on to the next generation the gospel intact. So I was thinking about this. I was looking at this article. And, um, you know, I was, <laughs> I was thinking of all of the different times where Jesus actually presented himself as the only way to God. Right. <laughs> And like the, it leaves, it leaves no, <laughs> this is again, why, you know, will the great, you say it's because people don't read the word of God. It leaves actually no question as to whether or not Jesus both claimed to be the only way to God, believed he was the only way to God, right? Taught he was the only way to God. Then you read the letters of the apostles and you understand that they also understood that Jesus is the only way to God. Mm -hmm. There's no gap. Jesus in John chapter 14 verses one through six. And, and, and I mean, this is so quoted, like we know this so much, like we, we understand this when Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. That's right. No one, not one person. So it may make you feel better to tell someone, well, just as long as you have a faith, that may make you feel nicer than Jesus because you don't want to be exclusive. You want to include people because inclusive is a big word today means absolutely nothing. 
It's just one of those overused words that it's, it's your hall pass. It's your badge to be able to move about the culture. Mm. I'm inclusive. It's like, <laughs> <clears throat> it's like Dash told Mr. Incredible. Everyone's special. Well, everyone's special. No one is. Right? Like it's just, <laughs> we're all just included. Everybody's included. Exclusivity was purchased for us. But at the same time, and this should blow your mind, right? At the same time, the gospel is inclusive. Mm -hmm. While not compromising, it's exclusivity. So whosoever will can come, but you have to come. And in fact, man, there's like, there's like seven, uh, John, the apostle John chronicles for us, excuse me, at least seven I am statements of Christ. And these I am statements are so important. I encourage you to teach them to your children. I'm going to go through the scriptural reference so that you can have them. Teach the I am statements of Christ to your kids. There's seven of them. And they're so important. The, the ego eme statements. Mm-hmm. I am statements of Christ. Why? Because each one of those statements is attached to the exclusivity of who Christ is and what he secures for us. And there is nothing in the communication that comes from Christ that would suggest he's one of many ways. That's right. Not anything at all. John chapter four, verse 26. Jesus says that he is the Messiah. This is when he meets the woman at the well. And she says that she knows that the Messiah is coming, right? She knows that the one who is called the Christ is coming. Jesus tells her, I who speak to you am he. Mm -hmm. Jesus is saying, I'm the Messiah. (laughs) I'm the one who is called Christ. So that's for all the people who like Jesus never claimed to be the Messiah. John chapter four, verse 26. Seven I am statements. And in fact, the I am statements culminate by the time you get to John chapter 14, because that's where in like this triad, he's like, I'm Jesus is like, I am the way, the truth and the life. (laughs) But all leading up to that, he's been alluding to who he is. Well, I say alluding that's ignorant and it just sounds smart. He's been flat out saying that (laughs) he is the only way to God. He's not alluding (laughs) to anything. Okay, he's flat out saying it. Yeah. John chapter six, verses 35, verse 48, verse 51. Jesus says he is the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Mm. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. If it's conditional, (laughs) if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. In other words, (laughs) it is through my death. Mm-hmm. that you have access to this bread, which is your life. And it is conditional. It is conditional. It's not just, oh, just everybody. It's if you eat of this bread. The third I am statement, John chapter, John chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus says he is the light of the world. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Mm-hmm. Notice at this point, that every one of the I am statements that Jesus is giving so far connects himself directly as it makes himself the source of life directly connects him to eternity. I am the source of life. John chapter eight, verses 23 through 24. Jesus says, I am from above. I am from above. He says, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would listen. You would die in your sins, 
For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Mm. No, you don't believe in me. You'll die in your sins. There's not there's not many ways, Oprah. There's not many options, (laughs) sister. T.A. There's a difference. There's not many ways. All right. John chapter 10, verses seven and nine. Jesus says, I am the door. I am the door. Truly, truly, in verse 7, John chapter 10, verse 7, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Mm -hmm. Verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. It's conditional. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. How? By entering by him. It is through him. I am the door. John chapter 10, verses 11 and 14, he mm-hmm. says, I am the good, good shepherd. shepherd. Amen. I am the good shepherd. Verse 10, John chapter 10, verse 10 is important too. The thief comes only to steal, to steal, to kill mm-hmm. and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Mm-hmm. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Amen. Jesus is saying, I am he. I'm the one who lays down my life for the sheep. This, there, is, there is no question here. Jesus says that he is the resurrection and the life. Remember when he's talking to Martha, this is after Lazarus is dead. It's been four days and they're grieving. Jesus is grieving. Martha is grieving. <laughs> Jesus says to Martha that your brother's going to rise again. And Martha's like, yeah, I believe that in the last day at the resurrection. Yeah, I believe he's going to rise again. And then Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Mm -hmm. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in Mm -hmm. me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he says, can you imagine? Man, this is where I'm animated in my thinking. I try to communicate this to our children. Can you imagine having this kind of conversation with Jesus? Because when Jesus makes this statement, he then says to Martha, (laughs) do you believe this? (laughs) In other words, I'm not just saying this for my health. This is not just poetry. Right. He says, do you believe this? Now, this is an opportunity for us to learn a lesson about eternity, that Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life. Then he turns around and still raises Lazarus from the dead. (laughs) It's amazing. This is the gospel that has been entrusted to us. And the reason our culture looks the way it looks is because we don't know this gospel. We don't know the I am statements of Christ. We don't know what Jesus claimed about himself. And so when we're pinned against the wall by the culture and the culture tells us, oh, no, Jesus wasn't perfect. Don Lemon. Come on, man. We're mad. We're mad, but we don't know the source Mm. for our correction. Like we don't know how to come back at him. We're like, we're like, oh, that's so not true. Isn't it right? I mean, he's wrong, right? (laughs) You know, we're, we're like, well, that's not what I heard about Jesus. That's not what I've heard whispered about Jesus. And we better all keep in mind that Jesus cares an awful lot about what his followers are, who his followers say he is. Amen. Some say you're this. Some say you're that. Jesus, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? We have to know who Jesus Christ is. We have to know what we believe about the gospel. This has implications and a huge bearing on the culture. Let us not just be mad. Look at how people are acting and behaving. 
Let us return to our post. Let us hold the line for the gospel. Let us teach it to our children and our grandchildren. At some point, we got to get tired of losing. All right, Aaron the Addison's American Family Radio. We'll open the phone lines when we get back. Back to Aaron the Addison's on American Family Radio. It's been a pretty intense week. I'm Miki. <laughs> and I'm Will. And there's uh, Natalie Grant and Stephen Malcolm. Even louder. Sherry B is over in Studio CC. Sorry, I didn't mean to jump on you there. He said even louder. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, right. She said it louder. Even yeah. louder. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, anyway, that's you, you know me. Um, we will open the phone lines. 888-589-8840. 888-589-8840. Will the Great, I know I've been kind of going through all of this. Um, just some of your thoughts and, and comments on what you're hearing. No, I think that the, I think that the passion and the, um, even the, the outrage or the righteous indignation is warranted because when you think about, because we, we're reading through Galatians right now at home. Yes. You yeah. know, and <laughs> the Apostle Paul, you know, he had not just uh, long, had long left that place. And, right. you know, that quick people came in and start disturbing <laughs> the church there, you know, and oh, he was man. outraged, you know, yeah. and, and like we pointed out an in introduction of Galatians, it wasn't this long, you know, I, you know, I love you so much. I've been praying yeah. for you. Yeah. And, you know, it was like, I'm, I'm Paul. I've been called by, by God to be an <laughs> apostle, not by yes. man. You know, yes. it, it was like, boom. And yes. he just got to it, you know, that's it. That's and it. that's the type of, uh, of, of passion and even just knowledge of the word, you know, just, to be able to say, man, come on, Christians, you know, that's not, let's not go this way. This is not what the Bible says about this. And and I I think, you know, man, this is, this is good. And we need to wake up, you know, and it's alarming just to hear, you know, the numbers, but it's like, man, no wonder we're taking these losses, these L's, you know, like, that's right. No wonder, you know, and think about like, you know, for every person who is willing to respond honestly, um, think about the people that you never really get into these conversations with. You just assume that they believe the Bible. Mm. You just, you know, you're, you're mm-hmm. some people we're in, you know, we are in fellowships with like mm-hmm. you just assume that we all think the same things. And we never right. have these kinds of conversations where you're able to kind of dig deeper and, and, you know, unfortunately, in some instances discover that you don't all believe the same thing, which is hugely problematic. Mm. Here is what um, George Barna said to the Christian Post in response to this survey. He says, quote, if you look at some of the dominant elements in the American mind and heart today, as illuminated by the inventory, most people believe that the purpose of life is feeling good about yourself. Mm. He continued. Most people contend that all faiths are of equal value and that entry into God's eternal presence is determined by one's personal means of choice and that there are no absolutes to guide or grow us morally. And then he makes this point. It's a grand one. And then we'll go to the phone lines here. 888-589-8840. Last point here from George Barna communicating with the Christian Post regarding this research here. Mm. Regarding this survey, Mm -hmm. he says that philosophy of life 
contradicts a fundamental basis of what may be the two most significant documents to the longevity and success of America. So here you see that really what we believe and how that looks in our country are inextricably linked. Yeah. All right. What we believe <laughs> yeah. and what that looks like in our country go hand in hand. He says the Bible and the constitution of the United States. He says those documents agree that this nation will only be healthy and fruitful if it is populated by moral people. Come on. Yep. By abandoning our moral standards and tradition and replacing them with inclusive and conditional preferences, we're losing the foundations that we we're losing the foundations that have enabled the American experiment to succeed for more than two centuries. I'm going to wrap up here and then we'll take the first call. We can only hope that our critical moral institutions, particularly the family Mm-hmm. And the church mm-hmm. will wake up and help the nation to get back on track, end quote. Mm. Thanks, George. Yeah. Thank you so much. <laughs> I agree. Where do we go first, Will the Great? All right, let's go to uh, Steve in Mississippi. Hi, Steve. Hey, I just like to tell you I love your show, and sometimes uh, y'all sound too good to be real. But uh, aside from that, I'm just curious. I hear. Uh, Mickey, you call him Will the Great a lot. Why is he called Will the Great? <laughs> That's a great question, Steve. I'm so glad that we start with a real easy one because um, he's the greatest man that I know. He is oh, the greatest you. man that I know. No, it's just true. But I've I've called you that since before 2007, which is the first time that I was ever on the air. Um, he saved in my phone as Will the Great. Like that's just who he is. He. I don't know how else to describe it. He's the greatest man that I know. It doesn't mean that he's a perfect man. Mm-hmm. Neither am I perfect, but mm-hmm. he is the greatest man that I know. And that's the only, that's the best way I can think of to describe him as Will the Great. Thank you. Well, you're welcome. Steve solicited that. <laughs> and I don't know what Steve is thinking about when he says too good to be true, because uh, with all this drama that you hear coming over the airways every day, I don't know. <laughs> But I appreciate you, brother. Will the Great, where do we go next? All right, let's go to John in Oklahoma. Hi, John. Hey, how's it going? I love your show, but, uh, you know, I, you took me off guard about all the pe- all the churches that believe just because you're good. I mean, ever since Ooh. I was a child, that was the only way that you could go through and get to heaven is through Jesus Christ. And Come on. Blew my mind. Yeah. Yes. It yeah. my mind, and, and I can't understand and the people, the, there's going to be a revival in the church, people. There's going to be a revival. And if you're not in this revival, if you don't know exactly what you do through to get, you know, the Lord is the only way. The Lord Amen. is there. But he is there for you, and he died for us, for all of our sins. Amen. 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 Right. Thank you so much, John. I, you, and John. I and look, I I share your shock. That's part of the reason why we want to talk about it today, because it's not just people who say I'm an American, but we're talking about Christians. Right. We're talking about those who identify as Christians, believing that salvation can be attained some other way by being or, or doing good. Slightly over half of Christian respondents said they believe someone can attain salvation by being or doing good. And that is incredibly disturbing. So I, we, we share that alarm, John. Will the Great, where do we go next? All right, let's go to Dave in Missouri. Hi, Dave. Hello, Will and Nikki. I'll tell you, I, I love you guys to death. Oh, thank but, you. Uh, hey, you were talking about uh, Lazarus earlier. I, I just wanted to 
to say this. You know, Jesus uh, taught us many things in parables, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but sometimes he taught us some deeper things in real life uh, instances, such as mm-hmm. raising Lazarus from the dead. And the the thing that that he really taught us in that was, if you remember, he didn't come right away. He waited four days. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it says that when he got there, Lazarus stunk by that time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, he did, it for, he did it for two reasons, but the first one was the minor reason, and the second is the major. The first reason is the Jews oftentimes would bury people and not really being the kind of positions we have today wouldn't know would think they were dead, but they would come to life. And he didn't want that to be a part of this. He wanted to make sure that when he raised him from the dead, he was dead. Mm-hmm. And so Lazarus being dead to the point that he stunk is exactly what the Bible says about us. We were dead. We wasn't mm-hmm. sick. We're mm-hmm. dead. Mm-hmm. In the sense. Mm-hmm. And then when he raised him from the grave, he spoke <laughs> his name and he called him out. It's exactly what Jesus does in our hearts. When he calls, the Bible says that all the Father has given me Mm -hmm. will come to me, Mm -hmm. and I will raise them up. Amen. so when he brought him out of that grave, and it says they removed the the old garments from him, that's our old sins. Mm. Took them away. And I just wanted people to get a picture of our salvation. Mm-hmm. When we see things like that, uh, we need to look deeper than just the surface of the fact Amen. that Jesus loved Lazarus and raised him. It wasn't just because he loved him so much he wanted to raise him. He mm-hmm. wanted to show us something. Amen. Amen. And I love you guys. Thank God you. bless Thank you, you, Dave. We love you, too. We appreciate you, brother. I just, I'm just listening, and that's another one of those calls where I say, and this week's sermon illustration provided for you by Dave from Missouri. Every pastor is like, well, hold on a second, brother. We take some notes here. I think the Lord may be speaking to me as well. This Sunday is what we're talking about. Thank you so much, Dave. Really appreciate you. you calling in. That's a blessing. And that is an encouragement. Deep, eternal truth from the word of God. Man, Amen. we, man. No, that's, that's good. I mean, he was, I mean, the scriptures that he was, was using, you know, um, uh, Ephesians chapter 2. You know, mm-hmm. then John chapter six, mm-hmm. you know, all that the father gives me will come to me. And Amen. the one who comes to me, I will I will certainly not cast out. You know, man, it's powerful. You know what he was saying as far as using what Jesus did with Lazarus and what yes. has happened with us who believe, you know, that man, Amen. we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And and he made us alive. So, yes. Awesome. Oh, Praise man. God. There's no way to get around it, Will. Amen. Like there's no you you have to just be ignorant or a liar. <laughs> right? Like to say something else, you have to be ignorant meaning you don't know mm. or you're a liar. Man. Right? And and then that means that your father is not God. It's mm. the devil. Come on. That's I mean that's Come you're on. you're not saved. Come you're on. not. All right, Will the Great, where do we go next? All right, let's go to Mary in Texas. Hi Mary. Hello. I was listening to the percentages you were giving of today's opinions, but I'm not shocked by the numbers mm. given because I blame the the problem is in the church house with the church itself. Mm. And I'm in my 70s, but when I raised five kids, we had church. 
Hmm. The children went to Sunday school, but they came back in, and they sat on the pew beside us hmm. or slept under the pew hmm. while the preaching <laughs> was going on. Today, uh-huh. children go to Sunday school, mm-hmm. and that's it. Mm-hmm. The preaching's done during the morning service while they're in Sunday school, so they're not sitting through preaching. They don't know how to have respect for the house of God. Oh, and come this, on, Mary. And on Wednesday night, I went to one church where Wednesday night was Bible study night. Mm. But as soon as Bible study ended, the youth leader would rush over to the other church in town that had a family basketball center. And I thought to myself, here they rush out of Bible study to play basketball, not even going home, you know, to think on the Word of God. Mm-hmm. And I really, I know um, one church friend was telling me in her state, the pastor was asked by the young parents to build a family center for the games, for the children to have a place to play. Mm-hmm. And the pastor had a real bad heart experience, and he was in the hospital and said, while well, he was in that hospital bed, God spoke to him, and when he came back to church, he said, there's not going to be a family center with this church. We're going to be a church that prays. Mm. Wow. wow. Wow, Mary. Thank you so much. Thank I appreciate you your comments. I think <laughs> the thing that you're driving home is in our attempt, and, and if I could just sort of, you know, uh, opine about what you're saying here, Mary, I think that in our attempt to be relevant and to bring to the church some things that we thought there's a need here and this might be helpful. We have come to rely on those things in a way that should have never been. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like there's, I don't, and and I'll just say this. I don't think there's anything wrong with teaching kids at their level. In fact, I recommend it. I really do. I I recommend we're, we're, we have two sets of kids in our house right now. Right. And so (laughs) there's a different way that the younger ones are being taught, which is the way that the older ones were taught when they were that age. Right. Mm -hmm. But the gospel is the gospel. Right. It doesn't change. Exactly. Right. And, and, and I think that Mary's on to something when, when we say, you know, our kids don't know what it is to hear the word of God taught. Yeah. They, I mean, at some point you have to take the training wheels off, Amen. Amen. you know, Amen. and allow kids to wrestle with the truth that you wrestle with and have come to accept. So right. thank you for your comments, Mary. Will the great, let's try to squeeze in maybe one or two more calls. Okay. Let's go to Judith in Alabama. Hi, Judith. Well, praise the Lord. How are y'all? Good. God good. bless you. Good. God bless you guys. You guys are an awesome duo. Um, the, you know, the thing that I'm hearing in a lot of what you're saying is sound doctrine. Mm. We have to hold fast to sound doctrine. Amen. Jesus said when this, when the, this kingdom is preached into all the world, then the end shall come. But Don Lemon doesn't surprise me at his <laughs> comment. Mm-hmm. Because I listen, the church has gotten to the point where they say nobody's perfect but Jesus Christ, but not realizing that's a shakedown. Because if you go into the Old Testament, Noah was just imperfect in his generation, Job was perfect and upright. And it's understanding how God sees perfect. Job describes it perfectly. He feared God, he eschewed evil. And then mm. Jesus tells us to be ye perfect. I mean, we know that that's a command. Mm-hmm. You know, if you tell your child, 
be quiet. You don't want your child to think, oh, well, when I go to heaven, I'll be quiet, you know? No. <laughs> Jesus said, be quiet, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect, because that can only come through the nature of God. Mm -hmm. So we've got a breakdown in doctrine, but if we hold fast, we have a new and better covenant. If Noah was perfect, if Job was perfect, he wasn't the only one. David said, God gives us a perfect heart. Man, you know, there's so much I want to I want to add to this, Judith. We're out of time. Okay, 10 seconds. I can't do it. I may I may I want to add to what you're talking about. Uh maybe tomorrow we'll do it. Until then, Lord willing. God bless.